Well, this morning, we're looking at Jesus and justice. Jesus and justice. Justice has been a word used for many different things over the last 18 months. As we've gone through the challenges of election season, politics, pandemics, and racial tensions, all sorts of things. And the word justice has been used in many different ways. It's a word that we want to use, but it's a word that also brings great division. As we ask, what is justice? Is everything a justice issue? Over the last 18 months, it's been very difficult to see the church miss in many ways its calling to be a unified voice of the justice of Jesus in society. And yet, what we've seen instead is a voice of division, where the church is fighting amongst itself as to what is justice and how do we outwork it. These are the questions that we are faced today. Do Christians talk about justice? Do we do justice? Do we just preach the gospel? Do we cancel those who are what we would say are unjust. And then many people are afraid, and have said to me over the last 18 months, Gary, I'm really afraid that issues of justice and unbiblical justice are coming into the church. People are afraid of things of, such as critical theory or social justice agenda, social justice warrior or wokeness, intersectionality, Marxist ideologies. We hear that the church has been taken over by some of these things. And, and so many ways, the church is divided and confused and sometimes at war with each other about the issues of justice. And so today we're going to look at what is biblical justice and what do we do about it. What is biblical justice? Just some disclaimers, as I do every week in this Jesus and series, this issue is hugely complex and challenging and broad, and so I'll only be able to skim a rock off the surface of this huge area. And so if you do have a hunger for more questions, a hunger to learn more, then here are some resources that I want to point you toward. The first is Justice and the podcasts and the studies on justice on the Bible Project. I recommend that every week. Generous Justice, a great book by Tim Keller, and particularly his article he wrote in the last year on a biblical critique of secular justice and critical theory. If you want to dig into that, that's an excellent place to start. And a bit of a chunkier reading is Nicholas Walterstorff's book, Justice, Rights, and Wrongs. And of course, we won't be looking today at how justice works in the political arena. That's what we'll be looking at next week. Many of the issues around justice are, well, what do we do about it? And so that involves a lot of issues around politics. We'll be looking at that next week. And the area of racial injustice and race, we'll be looking at, at that specifically in a couple of weeks. And so I won't, be, I won't be talking much about them today. But what is biblical justice? What is biblical justice? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word justice. What comes to mind? It could be judgment. It could be a court. It could be a judge wearing a wig if you're from England and a robe. It could be the police. It could be if you're in the entertainment business here, it could be DC Comic and the Justice Leagues. 
If you're EDM dancer like me, you'll think of Justice, which is the EDM rock band from France. But what comes to mind when you think of justice? Justice. The Bible has a lot to say about justice. It's a word that we define differently, and so we gather around the Bible to see how it defines the word justice. The words justice and righteousness are used together in the Bible over 500 times, and it's one of the main messages and themes of the biblical story. In Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet writes, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And of course, the rallying cry of justice is greatest heard in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Justice is at the heart of God and the heart of the call of God. But what does it mean? What is justice? And as John Tyson says, we need to get biblical justice right. He says this, if we don't understand God's vision for justice, then we will fall prey to whoever seizes the cultural microphone in the moment and push their agenda of justice upon us. We will live with shifting cultural values rather than unchanging kingdom values. We have to have a standard that we are measuring justice by. It's helpful to realize, isn't it, that there are many different theories of justice in the world around us. And we have to recognize what these are because part of the pain of the last 18 months is as Christians have seen what they feel of the injustices of society, they've looked at the church and we're infighting, potentially not doing much about it. And so if we're not careful, we hop on board one of the secular theories of justice. We hop on board something has to be done. And we can join with something that says it's justice but doesn't reflect biblical justice. Michael Sandel, who is a Harvard professor, uh, very famous for writing a book called Justice, What's the Right Thing to Do? And his course on justice, which is available free online, has been one of the most um, watched resources from Harvard of all time. He's not a Christian, but he helpfully categorizes secular theories of justice into three categories. He says, firstly, there's the maximizing welfare. Secondly, secondly, respecting freedom. And thirdly, promoting virtue. Maximizing welfare, respecting freedom, promoting virtue. Maximizing welfare theory of justice says the most just action is that which brings the greatest good and reduces the greatest harm to the greatest number of people. Of course, the problem there is who says what harm is and what is good, but this is generally adopted by those who would pursue a liberal socialist view of politics. Then there's respecting freedom, 
where the most just action is that which respects the freedom and rights of each individual to live as he or she chooses. Individual liberty as the lens through which we determine justice. The libertarian view most commonly would adopt this view of justice. And then thirdly, promoting virtue, where justice is served, where people are acting as they ought to in according with a moral code or predetermined virtue. And this would tend to lead towards political conservatism. And in all of these secular theories of justice, they each deliver a different definition, a different outcome of what justice is. And any particular issue that we're facing in society, pushed through the lens of each one, will come to a different conclusion. And of course, in many ways, some of them will overlap with the biblical view of justice, but the thing is, the biblical view of justice cannot be neatly categorized in any one. When we look at God's Word, we see that justice may have hints in each one of these, but it is something unique in of itself. If you're looking at a biblical critique of these theories of secular justice, then I want to commend to you the article I mentioned at the very start about a biblical critique of secular theories of justice. But I thought this morning it wouldn't be helpful or probably my best skill set to try and critique each of these secular theories of justice. We'll be here all day. But in praying, I was taken back to that fable. I don't think it's true, but it preaches well, where we talk about how do you spot Jesus versus alternative theories. And in that fable, it talks about how do you preach Jesus versus not Jesus? How do you know the gospel versus not gospel? And remember that story about the FBI when they're trying to teach people how to recognize counterfeit money? There's a fable out there that goes, they don't study the counterfeits. They study the real thing. They get so attuned with what the real thing is that when they see counterfeit, they can spot it straight away. I don't think that's true, actually, what they do, but it preaches well. And so... When it comes to biblical justice, we're not going to critique the secular this morning, but we're going to look at the real thing. We're going to look at what biblical justice is. We're going to soak into the story of what justice is through the lens of our God. So that by absorbing ourselves within this story, we can see aspects of where secular justice or non-gospel justice is prevalent. Dr. Derwin Gray writes, How do we know something is unjust unless we believe there is a standard of justice? Why do we get angry and hurt by suffering unless we know it shouldn't be that way? How do we know a line is crooked unless it's a straight line to compare it to? If we long for goodness, beauty, and justice, there must be one who created these things. There must be one by which we measure the standard. Biblical justice is measured by the one, is measured by by Jesus. As we look at God's Word, we see that justice is embodied in the person of Jesus and His story of what He's doing in the world. As you look at the Bible from beginning to end, you see the melody of justice woven through all of creation and all of His message and all of His life. Jesus is biblical justice. And so this morning, we're going to look at the full story of the Bible and see how justice is woven through the whole narrative. 
And it's a unique and beautiful and good vision of a just society. Now, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to take you through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to get someone else to do that. I have been recommending for weeks now that you discover um, an amazing resource on the internet called The Bible Project. Many of you have, and many of you have not yet. But they do a masterful job at telling the biblical story, and particularly focusing in on various themes of the Bible. And they've done a little film, Tim Mackey and his colleagues, about biblical justice through the story of Jesus from the beginning of the Bible to the end. So let's watch this, and then we'll dig a bit deeper. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? 
Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's dig deeper into these themes of justice. The first thing we see is that throughout the Bible, as this film brought out so wonderfully, is justice is more than we think. Biblical justice is more than we think. These words, mishpat and tzedakah, the Hebrew words for justice and righteousness, used over 50 times, contain multi-dimensions of what God says justice is. And in fact, they can be categorized in three modes, rectifying justice, restorative justice, and relational justice. Rectifying justice is what we most commonly refer to as justice. Someone receiving the, a punishment for their wrong. Justice has been served. We think of the courtroom, we think of judges, and we think of prisons. And this is certainly part of the biblical story of justice, mishpat. But mishpat, when it's more generally used and actually more commonly used in the Bible, is not referring to rectifying justice, but to restoring justice. Restoring justice is a, ju is a justice that is outside of the courtroom. In our day-to-day -day living, where we come alongside the disadvantaged, the marginalized, 
the oppressed. And we seek to lift them up. We're restoring them to the dignity and value that they have as an image bearer of God. Mishpat is not so much always about our rights when we're wronged, but our responsibility when others are wronged, where communities are wronged, where generations are wronged. Biblical justice is to come alongside, to restore, to empower, to sacrifice, to serve, to lift people and communities back up. This is what it means to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly before God because this type of mishpat, the restorative mishpat, requires mercy and humility. Rectifying justice of the courtroom doesn't need mercy or humility. It just means to right a wrong. But restorative justice demands a mercy, a compassion, a humility which, according to the biblical definition of humility, is self-forgetfulness as we look out for others above our own. In mercy and humility, I will sacrifice my own life for the sake of others. I will make other people's problems my problems. I am my brother's keeper. That's why in Zechariah 7, verse 10 to 11, the prophet said, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Biblical justice looks beyond our own selves, our own lives, what we've done wrong and not done wrong, and it looks to the wrongs of society and seeks to lift up those wherever we see oppression, wherever we see people being marginalized and people being treated less than who they are as an image bearer of God. That's why in the Old Testament we hear what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable over and over again, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. Because in an agrarian culture like the Hebrew culture where status and security and power was vested in those who had land, if you didn't have land, in other words, you were a widow, an orphan, an immigrant, or poor, then you were most likely to be taken advantage of. You were most likely to be oppressed you are most likely to be overlooked and fall through the cracks of society. But God, who is a God of justice, comes alongside to remember those who society forgets. Not as charity, but as justice. Biblical justice, therefore, is not just what is meted out in the courtroom, but also is how we treat the vulnerable in our society. This is justice. And we see this in the embodiment of Jesus. That Jesus is the embodiment of restorative justice. He comes and chooses to be born in poverty. In his ministry, he eats with those who are socially ostracized. He befriends the outcast and the downtrodden. He touches and heals at the cost of himself, the unclean lepers. When he taught parables about the kingdom of God, he said, hey, when you throw dinner parties, don't just invite your friends and the wealthy, invite the poor 
and the marginalized. We see this in Proverbs 31 where the, the writer says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is restorative justice. The Bible never says, speak up for the rich and powerful. Not because they're less important, but because they don't need it. The playing field is not level in our broken society. And if we don't advocate for the poor, the marginalized, the overlooked, then there won't be any equality. There aren't streams of justice reaching these communities. Biblical justice is not just setting a wrong right in your own personal life of what's happened to you, but it's going out into the world as the justice bearers of God, seeking to make other people's problems our own and to lift up where those have been downtrodden. And of course, the third dimension of justice is relational justice. Relational justice, summarized best in the in Hebrew word tzedakah, or the New Testament word for righteousness, which is diakonuse. See, this word righteous has been, has been shrunk to something which is too narrow for the biblical use of it. I don't know what you feel when you hear the word righteous. I grew up in church thinking righteousness was my personal moral qualities in how I behaved according to an ethical standard. But that film draws out that though this is part of it, this word of righteousness both in the Old Testament and the New Testament is linked to justice in how we treat one another. It's a relational justice. And Jesus comes to bring righteousness to us in our relationship with God. He restores relationship. So we are now right with God. But there's also a horizontal dimension of righteousness. That the calling through Jesus is not just to be right with God, but right with one another. That the ethic of the kingdom of God is the people of God treating each other rightly. As image bearers of God. That no one is lesser important than the other. The word righteous, according to biblical scholar Alec Mocha, is he defines it this way. Those right with God and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. Jesus went about this in a very unique way. He went about it in a way that was sacrificial to himself. It cost him everything to put relationships right with others. This is the story of the Bible. Bruce Waltke, in his summary of the word righteous in the book of Proverbs, says this. The word righteous means this. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. It's the wicked of those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And this theme in Proverbs and the Old Testament is carried through into the life of Jesus, who... Though he had equality with God, he did not see it as something to hold on to. But he emptied himself of his advantage to lift up those, you and me, who are disadvantaged. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, though we were poor, because he emptied himself of his riches, we became rich. This is social 
justice, according to Jesus, to go out into, into society and empty ourselves of the blessings that we've been given by God that we might lift others up, to do to others as Jesus has done to us. Justice is much bigger than we think. It's also so important because it's at the very heart of God's character. It's not something optional to God. It's not something optional to the Christian because justice is who God is. I don't know whenever you're in a party or a new social engagement or a, a mixer event or maybe you're filling in your profile on a dating app and you have to describe yourself and choose some words that would best describe you. Well, when God does that in the Bible, one of the top five words he uses to describe who he is is just. He is a God of justice. In Psalm 68 verse 4, it says this, I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Psalm 146, he described himself this way, that God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Justice is just how God rolls. It's who he is. When humanity rebelled in the garden, his justice said, I will not destroy them, but I will sacrifice my own self to bring them back. And all the way through to the sending of his own son, Jesus comes, the embodiment of justice. And how does he announce his arrival? How does he declare that he is the Messiah, the sent one from a just God? Well, he stands up in the temple, opens up the Hebrew Scriptures, and reads the following. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, in his very ministry, frames it through the lens of justice. He says, I have come for economic justice, to lift up the poor from generational and crippling and systemic poverty. I've come with legal implications to come to those who have been unjustly accused. I've come for physical injustice to heal the sick, and I've come for relational justice to bring back into community those who have been oppressed and ostracized. This is our God. Our God is a God of justice. And it makes sense, therefore, that justice is therefore our responsibility. If justice is who God is, then it means by design as being made in the image of God, we are people who yearn for justice, and as followers of Jesus, we adhere to his call to do the things that he did, to bring justice. The church has argued so often and so damagingly about whether we are just to preach the gospel or to just do justice. 
Now, some are concerned that, oh no, we can't tell people to do justice as a command because then people will think it's by our works that we're saved. We just preach the gospel. Then others are so upset that the church isn't doing anything. They go, we've got to go do social justice. We've got to get out there and love the marginalized and the poor as if these two are extremes and not compatible. But of course, through the lens of Jesus, it's a false dichotomy. We are saved by grace, but we are saved to do the things of Jesus. You can't have the king without the kingdom. Neither can you have the kingdom without the king. When you accept the king of all kings, you're conscripted, you're recruited into the work of his kingdom. We are born again by grace to do the works of justice. Jesus commanded his disciples to heal the sick, cast out demons, give to the poor, include the outcast. There is no option for the follower of Jesus to step back and see justice as an optional activity of the Christian. It's by its very nature what it means to follow Jesus. I know this because in Matthew 25, Jesus says one of the most stark examples of how much he cares about justice and how much he expects us to do it. He tells a story of when he's going to come again and greet the church and how he's going to decide who's going to join with him for eternity. Now, I grew up in a church that that answer was very easy because, you know what, I expect Jesus to say, hey, who said the sinner's prayer? Who gave their life to me on a youth retreat? You know, who accepted me as your personal Lord and Savior? And who said, there's nothing I can do to be saved. I fall on the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, you're in. That's true. But the answer and the story of what Jesus tells here is challenging to that. Because in Matthew 25, he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Justice is at the very heart of who he is and who we are. Of course, Jesus is not trying to confuse what it means to be saved by grace 
but he is throwing it down of what it means to be saved by grace. To be propelled into the life and ministry of Jesus himself. To look out for the oppressed, to lift them up, empower them as people of dignity and value made in the image of God. So how do we do justice? How do we outwork justice? First thing I want us to think about and to do is actually to reflect. Is this my view of justice? We're going to look at the next couple of weeks at maybe theories of how we outwork justice. But before we get there, and that's very challenging, but before we get there, I want you to sit in this posture of, Lord, no matter sometimes we disagree on how we do it, Lord, we have to be united on this is who you are. And we can't find the perfect solution before we get involved. But we are born again. We are saved to reach out to the vulnerable, the marginalized, the oppressed, and to empower them and lift them up. Is justice the burden of your heart as it is the burden of God's? But then secondly, we have to act. We have to act. Micah says that the Lord wants us to do justice, not just talk about it. Actions speak louder than words. And we're so conditioned in a global information age, are we not, to speak more than we do. But Micah doesn't say, he says do justice. He doesn't say post on social media about it. He doesn't say get outraged and tell others to do it. He says go do it. And if there's one thing I want to encourage us all to do, is just as much as our heart is burdened by injustice and propelled by the heart of God, to seek justice, please let us not be trapped in just speaking about it. But let's do it. Maybe have a, a little rule, a, a little rule of life, which is I'm never going to selfie or just talk or post about it. I'm going to put anything on social media about justice. It's actually me, a selfie of me, doing something about it. I think the world has enough of people being outraged from a distance and calling each other out. Whereas Jesus wants to call you in, to roll up your sleeves, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, do something about it. Act. Secondly, get proximate. Get proximate. There are so many confusing theories about, well, what do we do about justice? Is the problem this? Is the problem that? And we argue about what the problem is. And I find that those problems don't often go away, but they're eased and they're easier to overcome by being proximate with the problem. When you're ministering to the homeless, you get much greater clarity on, God, what should we do about this? When you're speaking with communities who've been oppressed for generations, you start to receive the wisdom of God of what do we do about this? 
when you look around in your city, in your communities, in your school at Justice, and actually get close, get proximate to the problem, we start to see the hand of Jesus guide us on how to bring justice. The Pope once said of his pastors, I need them to smell of the sheep. What he meant by that was, I'm so tired of pastors just being in their libraries, just writing sermons and being absent from the real problems of what their sheep are going through. I think the church, when it comes to justice, we've done so much talking, so much theorizing about that's the solution, that's the problem, it's not that, it's that. And how much would actually go away if we started to enter into the problem? Come alongside those who are weeping. Come alongside those who've got stories of oppression where we can empathize and understand, isn't that what Jesus did for us? He who became flesh, that he might empathize with what we're going through. And then thirdly, do justice wherever you are. Do justice in your own sphere of influence. We can get so caught up because of the information age to look at the big themes of injustice in society and we think, well, the only thing I can do then is exercise my vote. That's what I can do. And of course, that's right and that's good. But when you look at the life of Jesus, he, he concentrated not on the macro themes of global injustice. He concentrated on the person in front of him who was suffering injustice. When he told parables about doing justice, he didn't say, go to Rome and knock on Caesar's palace. He said, don't step over your neighbor on the side of the street, but pick them up. And I wonder if we need to refocus our attention, not on the great global themes of injustice, but actually look around our families, our neighborhoods, our city, and ask for the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, who is the person you're asking me to lift up? Who is the person you're asking me to empower? Who's the person you're asking me to advocate for? Who's the person that you've blessed me with so much, not that you've given it to me, but you've actually asked me to serve others with? Start where you are. It could be that... You help us with one of our missional partners that we serve with here at Vintage. Harvest Home or Claris Health, Salvation Army. So you go, I don't know where to begin. Well, come with us. As we get involved into the pain and darkness of our city, come with us. And let's be the salt and light. Not on the internet, not on social media but we salt and light amongst the people we live. God is calling us to a lifestyle of justice, to look outside of our own selves, to kill the gospel that Jesus is obsessed with your personal welfare, that he saved us and brought us into his mission, 
and equipped us with his spirit, equipped us with resources that we might go out in the name of Jesus to bring justice to this land, to bring justice to our city. This is our God. This is Jesus. I'd love you to close your eyes. As I read from Micah once again, and just to reflect on your own heart towards justice, as we ask the question that the prophet asks, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God.